This is the She Dares to Travel podcast, and I am your host, Raquela Pollock. After spending a decade managing the number one travel agency in Canada, I am now here to connect you to women that are taking the travel industry by storm, as well as female business professionals that also have a passion for travel, just like me. We are here to inspire, uplift, and motivate you to not only follow, but plan out your dreams, no matter where in the world they may be. Hello, all you daredevils out there. It's Raquela, and this is the She Dares to Travel podcast. Today, we have an incredible woman joining us from Marseille, France. Her name is Julie Monnier, and the stories she has can absolutely transport you across the world. But the best way to understand them is to truly see it through her eyes, and that's exactly what she allows us to do. And she is camera woman and filmmaker for BBC, PBS, and Disney Nature, just to name a few. She has a biology degree, and she is camped in truly the most remote places like Antarctica, Alaska, and the Democratic Republic of Congo, where she followed a family of gorillas to capture their story. And every time she leaves the city but life behind, she does it to truly immerse herself into nature and capture these really intimate moments that many times go unseen by all of us. So I appreciate you being here to share your story today and your journey, Julie. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. I'm so excited just to share your stories and your experiences. And I know you're currently over in Marseille, France. How have things been going over there lately? I think like uh, everywhere else in the world, um, it, we're in lockdown at the moment. So I am stuck in Marseille, but it could be a worse place to be at the moment. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> very true. <laughs> it's pretty warm over there too, isn't it? It is pretty warm. It's still quite warm. We're quite lucky. The the sun is out and it, it helps us to enjoy some fresh air. Exactly. Perfect. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Have you always been living in France? No, I moved out of France at the age of 16 to learn English in Ireland. And then I moved to uh, Morocco uh, for a couple of years where I started working in the uh, film industry and then I ended up in London uh, in England where I started working as a camera assistant on films and I ended up in Bristol which is the heart of a natural history documentary where the BBC is based for nature documentaries and now I'm back in France. Back in France, beautiful. <laughs> a little circle. A little circle, exactly. I know that your travels have been quite extensive over the years, just with film photography that you've been doing. Where recently have your travels taken you, you know, prior to COVID and, and the lockdowns? Just before, literally just before the lockdown in March in France, I was in uh, Russia. Uh, on uh, Lake Baikal for a personal project where I crossed Lake Baikal on my own because I wanted to reconnect with nature and I decided to take this opportunity because I was between England and France and I just wanted to have this project at this time. So I was in a very cold icy lake of, uh, in Siberia mm -hmm. and I literally came back a day before lockdown and I didn't wow. know anything about what was happening. I was in my world wondering about climate change and uh, all the different problems and I ended up coming back to one. 
So it was uh, interesting. Lake Bacol, that is one of the world's deepest lakes. Lake Bacol is the deepest lake. um, And it was one of the most magical places I've ever been on Earth, where you truly feel the spirit of the lake and of nature. Mm. I've been very lucky. And sadly, at the same time, this year was a very warm year for Siberia. Uh, Maybe I think one of the warmest year ever recorded in Siberia. It was actually snowing quite a lot and the ice was not very steady, which Mm. made my journey much more difficult than I expected. But it was part of the journey. Out of curiosity, (laughs) how were you you crossing it? Crossing on foot with a pulka, with a a sledge. I was on foot with a sledge and I just uh, where, you know, it was like my little house. I had my tent, my food my camera equipment and just walked with my two feet <laughs> Wow! And, and nothing else. You were right there yeah. in nature. That is yeah, the best way to the... truly experience it. Incredible. Yeah, I wanted to do it, really wanted to do it by, by foot. I didn't want any music, so I didn't, you know, didn't have anything, no headphones, nothing. I just wanted to, to be able to listen and to take the time and to appreciate the moment Mm-hmm. Even if sometimes it meant that it was difficult and it could be sometimes boring, but I think that's also part of our life. It's so it, yeah. it absolutely is. And this year, if anything, has proven that we we need to slow down and focus more and pay more attention to things. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you really were truly immersed in that too, which is incredible. Yeah, I, I, tr- I tried, yeah. Yeah, very much. So did you always know you were wanting to get into film and photography? No, no, I didn't. No one in my family came from the television or had or photography. So for me, it was something I saw on TV, but that didn't mean anything as a young child. And I always wanted to work with animals. So I wanted to be a vet when I was a little girl. Okay. And then I did a few internships in a vet clinic, but I fell a little bit trapped. Mm-hmm. So I was, and I so I was very happy with the animals, but I felt like that's not something I want to do for the rest of my life because I felt trapped. That there's nothing wrong with being a vet. And then I moved to Ireland, and when I moved to Ireland, I met a filmmaker, and so I suddenly, you know, that opened up my eyes about this world and I realized that all the documentaries I was watching as a young child this is something I could also do and maybe I could make a difference because I loved animals and our planet so much that I felt a teenager maybe that's a good way to to make a difference. Beautiful way to do it. When you were starting out then being that it was something that was really really new and you were new to the industry are there any standout moments that you feel completely impacted your career moving forward? I think what impacted my career or at least what I wanted to do I had a good career in film industry but not in documentaries and not in nature documentaries and I didn't know how to get there because it was, it's uh, difficult there's so many different ways to get to where you want to be with this industry and I didn't know how to to get started and pretty shy uh, but I had a good mm-hmm. uh, career in, in filmmaking but someone said, you really want to achieve your dream, you've got to talk to people, you've got to tell them what you want to do. So one day we were with a friend in a bar and I, he was a producer and I said to him, oh yeah, I really want to get into natural history documentaries. And that's when he said, oh, I know a guy, he works mm-hmm. <laughs> for the BBC and uh, maybe I should uh, give you his contact details and 
he did. And I remember being one of the scariest things I was going to do because I was exciting, but I knew that could change my career. So I called him and he said, you got to move. So I was in London at the time. He said, you got to move to Bristol and you've got to get a biology degree. I moved to Bristol. I got a biology degree. And uh, that's how I got started. And he became a really good friend of mine, a mentor, and he introduced me to a lot of people. And and I started working in this industry for the BBC. You have to go out of your comfort zone in a way. And I often said to myself, it's not going to kill you and you only need one. So <laughs> just go for it. But I'm, I'm a very shy person. Sometimes it's actually difficult to make that first move. Um, but you just got to do it. Got to do it. Well, especially if it's something you're so passionate about and you have your eye on that dream and knowing you want to do it, then mm-hmm. you're right. You got to kind of push yourself out of the comfort zone or else it'll never happen. Yes. it's uh, And I know it's difficult, but um, <laughs> that's my best advice. Yeah, that's great advice. And I keep telling, you know, even to myself, even now, I still tell myself the same thing over and over again, because it's still difficult forwards and, you know, to our things to people. Yep, it's true. But it's a reminder. At least you're kind of giving yourself a little bit of a kick in the pants saying, all right, here we go. <laughs> like It's worked before. Yeah. Let's do it again. <laughs> Let's do it again. Yeah. And it might not work. But, yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah. Who knows? You know, and it doesn't, it's fine. You still, you know, wake up the next morning and you haven't died. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't think you die of shame or not that kind of shame anyway. So no, exactly. With all of that, I know you have clearly traveled to a ton of places being that travel is a passion of yours. Do you know how many places you've been to or countries you've been to? No. You never counted? (laughs) I never counted, actually. But I actually come back to often the same places. I've been to, uh, to America, to Alaska quite a few times and then I've been to the Arctic a couple of times and I've been to Antarctica a couple of times so it's more I like the extreme <laughs> places <laughs> and obviously Siberia which was one of my dreams I got there and I've been a few places in Africa Asia I wouldn't say I've been to thousands of countries but I've been extraordinary places I'd say Absolutely. Well, it clearly shows on your website there going through all the different places and the documentaries and films you've done and even on IMDb just going through those. It's so incredible and it's a lot of places you're right that many people wouldn't be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go on a vacation over there or (laughs) just Mm -hmm. pick up and go on a holiday. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Antarctica, I really want to dive into how you ended up filming and getting on board the project for Disney Nature's Penguins. Well, I heard about the project way before it was in production and I overheard someone <laughs> talking about it and I kind of knew someone who was on the project so I emailed him and I say uh, basically it's my dream I want the job <laughs> and he was like well it's not even in production so I can't even give you a job and I was like I'll email you again and I will not stop emailing you until you give me a job so I think that took about eight months till they finally gave up and gave, gave me a job. <laughs> and two months later, I was I was in Antarctica. I never worked so hard to get a job. Wow. Um, Hard work pays was, off. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think they really got bored of me asking. <laughs> I also prepared really well because I had a couple of interviews and I remember working so hard mm-hmm. to get those two interviews. And I'll always remember the day I got the phone call to tell me that 
I got the job. One of those moments in your life you never forget. Oh, absolutely. And watching the movie and seeing the footage and even the opening scene, just so everybody knows, Penguins is the cutest movie ever. And it follows an Adelie penguin named Steve and his journey to find love. And it is very well done. The, the footage is stunning. The opening scene when he is flopping and wobbling across the ice with this gorgeous sunrise or sunset in the background, whichever it was, it just really shows the true beauty of Antarctica. So you were there for how long? I was there, oh gosh, the stri- I did a two seasons mm-hmm. and I was there, I think the first year was about two months and then the okay. second year was almost four months, but exactly the same kind of time. So November, December, I got there the first year in December and the second year in early November through to end of February. Long so they, time. Yeah. And this was just yeah. you and how many other people? We were staying in a protected area of Antarctica, so it's very difficult to get mission to go there. So we were very limited in how many people we we were allowed to take with us. So there was only two of us each time and no people, no. <laughs> which is, um, you better get on. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So two people... And you guys are following these penguins essentially on their journey. How did you find Steve? <laughs> I've got to know. <laughs> I'm watching this movie being like, how did they find this one penguin? <laughs> well, I'm, that is definitely something I'm not allowed to tell you. Okay. I thought I'd try. I thought I'd try. <laughs> I have to, uh, you know, I'm a, a, a movie star, so you know, he I've is got a movie to protect star. His, his identity. <laughs> I like that. All right. We'll leave it at that. I mean, Antarctica, it is the world's highest, driest, coldest continent. I was reading online the the low temperatures can reach negative 94 degrees Celsius. And yeah. it actually doesn't even snow much, which I thought was really interesting. And it's it's so dry, it's classed as, as a polar desert which is mm. very interesting. But being that it's it's windy and dry and cold, what is it like prepping for for doing this film and for being there? I think what's difficult is because you know that you're going to a place you have never experienced before, even if you feel like it might be like going to the mountains, you're still not sure. And, and when you get there, you don't really have a choice of going shopping. So you get really nervous the first year and you're trying to read online other people who've been to Antarctica but obviously every experience is different it's not like you're going on, on an expedition because people go on an expedition they walk all day long so they have to adapt their clothing for the, the walking we had to stand still most of the time waiting for the, the right moment but then we also had to walk from our base to the, the penguin colony so it was very difficult to work out what you have to where but essentially like any other cold places on earth so you have to make sure you have enough layers so you can take them off when you're walking and put them back on when you are staying still and the the hardest is always for me feet because women and feet are always the you cold. know we really struggled mm-hmm. with cold yeah. <laughs> that was my biggest fear that I would just like get frostbite because I, I don't 
I think about all the different type of socks you can find on earth, literally handmade from bigger company. And I just uh, crossed my fingers that I would be fine. <laughs> but essentially, you, you are fine. And uh, and when you get cold, you just try and run a little bit or mm-hmm. <laughs> walk fast and uh, trying to get the circulation yeah. in your body uh, running again. Yeah. yeah, and flowing. Yeah, I think it's always the idea of getting cold that worries you more than when you get there, you always find a solution and there's always going to be you just have to put all the layers that you have if you get too cold how in the film it talks about I think it's pronounced the catabatic winds that come across (laughs) and that was so interesting because it's a massive storm that basically comes with this huge force of gravity and there's footage of little old Steve his new wife hiding and protecting their Mm. eggs in this storm so I kept thinking when watching it what what was it like filming that and how did you film that? You have to be sensitive and make sure you don't put yourself in danger and it's really difficult because it's so strong that the camera can move quite a lot and you have to make sure that the camera, that you get the right footage. Uh, it's a difficult one to explain because you have to protect yourself, be close to the, the floor. Uh, the closer you get to the floor, the more protected you are from those winds and then when you feel like those winds are getting stronger and stronger there's a time where you have to make a decision because you have to be safe and sometimes you don't know how long those winds can last you just have to go back to your base and wait until it's safe again to go back you can never stay there when the wind is is that strong? Hundred and hundred and fifty miles per hour. That's not. Wow. No, it's not possible. <laughs> it's not, not possible. Feasible. What an experience! And, and it would and it wouldn't work for the camera anyway. But that's yeah. you know that's more technical, mm-hmm. um, and it's a little bit boring to talk about. That. <laughs> it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky question because it's yeah. you know it's it you have to trust your gut. Mm-hmm. to to know when you have to to go and how long you can film it because it's it's a very important part of the film mm-hmm. because uh, it, it, you know it's very important to see what those little guys have to endure oh, and how yeah. resilient they are mm-hmm. penguins and a, a few other animals actually can live for a few months in in antarctica so you have to be resilient and they are. It's pretty incredible to, to see that. It really protecting was. Protecting the eggs. Mm-hmm. Mm. It was a beautiful, beautiful part of the film. And I mean, these, like you said, these little guys, they really are. They're so tiny and they're cute and they're clumsy. And the film does such a great job of, of showing what they go through. But mm. I've learned that these penguins are particularly feisty. And I did <laughs> see how they protect their rocks that they're collecting with their, and they flap and flap and flap with their flippers. Yeah. And you have some very close footage. And I'm curious, did any ever try to flip or flap you when uh, you were there? Um, no. Well, we, we, we get some really close shots, but we have very long lens cameras. Okay. So um, the idea is not to get close to them because you obviously disturb them. So we would um, never get uh, close to them. But I wouldn't want to get close to them because when you watch them in their colony, uh, how feisty they are to each other, you, you definitely don't want to get involved. <laughs> <laughs> They quite, yeah, those penguins, they, they really just come on uh, solid ground to lay the eggs. They, they're not comfortable uh, on the ground. As you say, you know, they're a bit clumsy and they, they're much more comfortable in the water. They're really strong swimmers. And I 
and they're quite independent and then suddenly they have to to mate and they they have to go on land and they have to accept to have neighbors mm-hmm. 24 hours a day it's like wow. it's like hell for them <laughs> yeah, exactly. so they get, i think they get a little bit spicy and i always wonder they had a, a brain working like a human <laughs> what would they say to themselves gosh exactly. can't wait another month and then another 20 days and then oh thank god i have to come then i I'm can i can finally go <laughs> <laughs> well the movie does such a good job by painting the picture of what it is steve might be thinking so it's so cute yeah. that way to hear and you're like when he's collecting his rocks and he's like wait a minute i thought i had five rocks here someone's stealing my rocks it's so true it's oh it's so yeah. well done and we've seen that it's unbelievable and they are some that are really respectful that that's why it's interesting about animals they all have their own personalities and some of them are literally thieves and others just really respectful and you know some would choose smaller rocks little pebbles you know really tiny and i was like really are you are you sure that that's a good move i don't know i mean i I wouldn't go for that yeah yeah, but it seems to work so for for most of them oh it was amazing well and you're so immersed in it too right that i can see and especially if there's only two of you like this is your life these penguins now thousands of penguins and their journey is your life for for the next few months right yeah what other animals did you see while you were there? We saw leopards bathing on the beach. <laughs> there were some, oh gosh, other birds. I can't remember their name. They're white. They were really beautiful, small white. It, it looks like they're dancing on the on the water, but I can't remember their name. And then far away, you can see killer whales as well. But wow. you have to really get your binoculars and uh, trying to find them. And sometimes I did try to go for my binoculars so I could see something else than a penguin so <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was a many many penguins so you know. many so many so yeah you, you it's not like you're getting bored you can't get bored of them but you, yeah. you kind of want to see something a bit different once in a while and it was nice to see a killer whale far in the distance so yeah i think that's oh, oh and we saw some early in the season some emperor penguins and we saw some other lost penguin from other species of penguins Oh. just got lost oh, yeah it's that's neat yeah, it's oh. like, what yeah it did happen to me one day where i saw one so i was walking in the colony and then press was something different so I, I turned around and i kind of was like what are you doing here and it was like this penguin looking like northern and all the other penguins were very suspicious as well because oh. they could tell it was different so that was interesting because you could tell he was kind of freaked out and the other were like you're not like us. Yeah. You know One of these I mean? things is not like the other. <laughs> yeah. So there was like all confusion and I felt like a I felt like an Adelie penguin as well myself because mm-hmm. I felt like he was not like us. <laughs> and suddenly I got a bit worried that I was turning into an Adelie penguin myself. The penguin brain and mentality is what you had. Yeah. Being that you were there for, for so long and immersed in this polar desert. Were there any moments that you had regretted your decision and regretted being no, there? No. No? Okay. I didn't no. think so. <laughs> no, a single moment. After eight months no. of, of peppering Disney saying, hey, put me on this, I had a feeling yeah. there wouldn't be. No, no. I mean, the first step on Antarctica ground was unbelievable. And seeing Antarctica and just hearing the penguins for the first time was, yeah, I, I, this 
No, wow. no. I, I will go back. I, I dream sometime of going back. It becomes like a drug. Oh, I bet. <laughs> like I'll go there. I'm addicted. Yeah, you're addicted. It, it's, I could oh, see it. Yeah. Then on the flip side, what is it like being so remote for so many months and then returning back to the city? Well, what's interesting is you kind of, when you first get there, obviously you don't have a phone and you don't have social media and you, you get access to an email address uh, where people can send you a few updates about the world, but you don't really get many updates of the world. So it's like, again, it's, you, you realize how addicted you are to this technology and it's almost like you have to withdraw from it. And then mm -hmm. you get so used to it and when you go back to the world, the last thing you want to see is the news, mm -hmm. be on social media, and you definitely don't want to open your mailbox because <laughs> you're, you're worried that it's going to be too much at once. Yeah. Um, and then seeing people was actually a little bit scary, I have to say. People were walking a little bit too fast. For me and there were too many people and they, they were getting too close to me you know when yeah. you're waiting uh, uh, to cross a road and people would just tack next to you and I'd be like oh I think you're a little bit too close <laughs> and that, that took a while you did it's amazing how you kind of adapt to your environment and I think you know that's what human beings have been so successful is because we adapt easily and I just adapted to my Antarctic environment and then when I got back to the society I knew it, it's almost like I had to readapt to it mm -hmm. and uh, and it took a while but you, you do keep a few things that you had in Antarctica and I kept a few things I have slowed down my life and I am not on social media as much as I used to be. And, and I try not to be surrounded by too many people. Mm -hmm. But that's always been true in a way. But even yeah. more now. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. And it's just a slower pace. Yeah. Life can be busy. The only way I can slightly relate, it's not as extreme. But when I was in Thailand last winter, I lost my phone. And so for 10 days of the trip, I had no cell phone. And I've never been on a trip where I haven't had my cell phone. So so I still had my, my GoPro and was taking photos and everything, but it really forced me to just be more in the moment and be more present and mm -hmm. really see everything that was going on. Granted, there was the odd time I asked my husband to borrow his phone to use it or something, but, <laughs> but I get it. And I see the value in that too. And the importance of it, even just for our own selves and holidays, or even just nowadays with everything going on, it's nice to just take a moment and a step back and just be present. So that's really beautiful. Yeah, I think, it, mm -hmm. yeah, and I you're you're right that you know it helps you to live in the present and the present is so beautiful mm -hmm. even if sometimes it's difficult it's quite nice to stay there exactly and stay in, in the place where you are yep I totally agree with you. And now I do want to talk a bit more also about the filming of I believe it was BBC Two's Gorilla Family and Me in the Democratic yep. Republic of Congo. Uh, we were a team going mm -hmm. there and they were working at night and I was working daytime. We flew together, but I never saw them, basically. <laughs> and I stayed with a team of trackers, Congolese yeah. trackers all day. Wow. And how long were you mm. there tracking this family of gorillas? I think it was about two or three weeks. 
What is that experience like? Because I have been wanting to do, I've been looking at trips in Rwanda to trek to see the gorillas. And someone I know in the travel industry as well, he went and he's a photographer and the photos are stunning. Your photos are stunning. I can imagine the experience is just surreal. What was it like seeing these beautiful beasts in person? I think what's interesting is they always tell you those beautiful beasts (laughs) that you have to earn the right to see them because it is so difficult to find them and family that we are following were unhabituated gorillas so they're actually not used to human beings at all it's the journey to get there and to you know to to be with the trackers in the forest and watching them trying to find clues of where those gorillas could be and and they they're gigantic and you can't see them and and then suddenly out of nowhere one of the trackers look at you and say just look over there and he's just in front of you wow. and you just you just wonder how on earth did he appear yeah. <laughs> like in front of me and so difficult to explain how powerful it is when you first see a silverback gorilla they are powerful you can tell they are here to protect their family and you have to be very careful how you move how you react definitely shouldn't move too quickly that scares them and not look at them in the eye but there was one moment that did look at him in the eye oh and it was by mistake but it was incredible because he looked at me and it was just like you know there was that connection it was wow powerful Okay, that happened. (laughs) And he's fine. He's okay. And then he left. Do they say why not to look in the eye? Is it a dominance thing? Uh, Yeah, it is. Okay. So you kind of, if you look at them, it's like bears. You're basically telling them that you're ready for almost a fight. Whew. Well, you were uh, you were a little ballsy there trying to stare at the gorilla in the eye. Yeah. Holy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whoops. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because you, you can see that they're thinking. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like there's definitely something when he's looking at you that he's thinking and you can feel it. So that's why it's so powerful because you can really tell it's another being with his own mind and his own way of thinking. Mm-hmm. That he's looking at you and you can tell he's thinking about what you are. Exactly. Analyzing it. Very neat. And I I read in one of the articles too that you had trouble setting up your tripod. Mm. Because every time you did, it was like a foreign object and he was like, what is this? And then would just kind of saunter off and you wouldn't be able to get the shot too. Yeah, that was very tricky. Basically, you never seen anything, but you heard shotguns. Because oh, you know, there's yeah. shotguns in Republic mm-hmm. of Congo, and putting the tripod was very difficult. And then you have to clip your camera to your tripod, and the click sounded um, like like a gun for him, gotcha. and that really scared him. Yeah. So it was very tricky to kind of trying to work out how to get a shot without scaring him, because you don't want to interfere mm-hmm. too much in their, in their environment. What a neat so, experience, though. That that one is incredible. I would definitely do something similar to that. Yeah, yeah. I hope you do. It, mm-hmm. It's absolutely amazing. They, they're, they're really fun to, to be around. And I got lucky to 
work with another gorilla family in a different country and they they're really fantastic mm. fantastic oh. animals i love it there also is mention on your website that you have actually been inside an active volcano <laughs> and I tried to find more info on this, but I figured it'd be better to hear it directly from you. Where was this and why did you do this? <laughs> <laughs> that was a shoot for the BBC and we went to East Java in Indonesia. Okay, yeah. And there's this famous volcano, the largest in this area, and it has a massive acid lake oh. in the middle, Kawajin Volcano. And there's the sulfur coming from inside the volcano and it's still active. And then at night, it becomes magnetic blue. And at daytime, it's, and it's when it's hard, it's yellow. And people do work the sulfur in Indonesia. So there's a lot of workers there at daytime. And we would get there at night to film blue magnetic lava going into the, the lake. And that was pretty amazing. Sulfur is basically we smell like rotten uh, eggs. You know, rotten egg, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I yeah. couldn't find words. Like I can still smell <laughs> uh, smell it. You know, it's uh, it. And we had every morning we would just wash ourselves. I mean, it was just it, the smell was absolutely terrible, absolutely terrible. Oh, I can um, imagine. So that was just filming beauty shots. Wow, what an experience. Indonesia is so, I love Indonesia. It's so diverse with so many different options and things to see and do. But I've not, mm -hmm. I've never heard of the blue acidic lake and how that changes color and everything. So I will definitely have to check that out. Yeah, do check it out. It's absolutely a, a beautiful, absolutely beautiful lake. I know that climate change is something that's very close to your heart. And I'm just wondering if there is any advice that you can give for us to help just lower the impact or be more aware of climate change. Personally, what I try to do, and that goes for my work and my personal life, I try not to be a big consumer. I try to recycle my clothes. I try to use clothes I already have in my wardrobe, not buy, only buy things that I really need. And that goes as well for my equipment, so not be too needy or too, mm -hmm. <laughs> as we can all be, and uh, we get attracted by ad advertising. And, and the chain to make those things has a massive impact on climate change. And then one of the reasons I moved back to south of France was also to lower my impact on climate change. And, and I know it's not possible for everyone. And again, this is something I decided to do. And, and I know how difficult it can be to change habits. But I try to buy as local as I can fruit and vegetables. So I know I reduce the impact of vegetables, fruit that come from a different continent. Yeah. And that's why choosing to live in Marseille was really helpful because I knew there's a big variety of fruit and vegetables. So I tried to buy local but even for equipment and I try not I try to go and see I need to buy some equipment and I try to go to a shop instead of always shopping online because that has a massive impact. Mm. And then I try to fly as little as I, I can. Uh, <laughs> yeah. unless it's necessary and I now weigh the importance of me traveling for a job this is you know one of my biggest changes do I need to to go away and fly to 
do this job. Is it going to make a difference? If I hope it, it does, mm-hmm. I will do it. But it's just those little things. I think just to be more aware. And I think the best way is to reconnect with nature. I think as a society, we have over the years uh, started to disconnect ourselves uh, with nature. And the more mm-hmm. we are connected to nature, the more we want to preserve it, the more we'll be willing to make a few changes in our life. Mm-hmm. But yeah. really, it's really difficult yeah. because we all yeah. try to make, and I, I really believe that, I think we all try to make a difference, but some people find it easier than others because mm-hmm. of their upbringing as well, or where they live, and we just have to, yeah, I think yeah. we have to love nature because without nature, and I think we are part of nature, we, we wouldn't be able to, to breathe and to, to eat and mm-hmm. to live eventually. And even this year has proven even more so than ever how important it is to reconnect with nature because with so much noise going on in the world, for me, even personally, getting outside and and feeling the ground under my feet has been something that's been so powerful. And even like you said, like you've made these small changes. There's a quote out there somewhere that I will paraphrase, but it's that we don't need a handful of people making these changes perfectly. We just need millions of people trying and doing it imperfectly because that will eventually make more of a global impact and difference. I agree with that. I totally yeah. agree. Big companies need to make changes as well and reassess their priorities. And I think the priority is that we live more in harmony mm-hmm. in this world. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. The money doesn't make us happy. Mm-hmm. I definitely believe in that. Yeah, I agree. Well, travel experiences are something that's been so fulfilling in my life and just seeing other cultures and places and albeit it hasn't been as remote as as you have done, but the adventure is there and it's very exciting to think of. But I am curious, mm-hmm. where where are you dreaming of going next once things are a little bit more safer to do so? <laughs> I am, I'm dreaming of... Um, driving a car to or getting on a train uh, the Trans-Siberian and going back to Siberia and explore more of uh, Russia Amazing. and uh, especially Siberia this is a, a place I need to connect more mm-hmm. with it and love to get the train mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then go and spend a few months uh, even if it's difficult in Russia because you need to have the right a visa mm-hmm. and then come back with one of their amazing little cars there i think i've never only seen in siberia nice so, um <laughs> yeah that would be <laughs> i love those cars and i would love to just travel with one but that is definitely just a dream because yeah. for many reasons i won't do it but um to, to get a car back but definitely <laughs> going back to siberia yeah. is something i would love to do I hope you can get there very soon then or get back there, really. Mm-hmm. Keep planning it and plan it and get excited for it because it will happen. So where can people find you? Website, social media, that sort of thing. I do have my website. You've seen, like, uh, I think it's juliemonier.com. Um, but I'm going to have another website because I've started a new production company called Point de Départ Production, which means a starting point production because I believe Every time there's always a starting point in your life, there's another chapter. So I, um, that's how I, that's why I call it. And this is in uh, in progress at the moment, so you can't find it yet. But it will be out. And Instagram be the best social media to find me. And I'll promise to make more effort to um, <laughs> to post <laughs> to post on it. What's your social or what's your Instagram? Julie Monier. Perfect. It's my name. 
for both my website and my Instagram to make it easy. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for just sharing your your journey and your stories with us. They're absolutely incredible. Well, thank you for having me. I hope that was clear and I hope uh, that uh, will make people want to travel for good reason and to help the environment and nature (laughs) and animals and us, obviously. (laughs) And the animals too. Can't forget about them. No, I I thank you. Thank you again. You truly are an inspiration, not only because of the places you've been and the things you've seen, but also because you're proof that hard work, determination and perseverance can really get you to your dreams and make them come true. So these production companies are so lucky to have you. We are lucky to be able to see your work. And I really can't wait to see where the future takes you. It's fantastic. And if anyone is looking to have a very feel-good, lighthearted film to watch, I highly recommend the Disney Nature Penguins. So thank you again. Thank you very much. If you like this episode, please subscribe and download a few more and leave a review. I would really love to hear from you, what you enjoyed and what your key takeaways were. And of course, let me know if there's any aspect of the travel industry that you want me to talk about next. You can search for the hashtag She Dares to Travel Podcast on Instagram and comment on the episode's post with your questions. I would love to answer them for you. I hope you enjoy your day. Stay so well. And until next time, fly straight. This wouldn't be possible without our sponsor, Staples Studio, where I am currently recording from. Check them out on their website, studio.staples.ca. It truly is a new approach to co-working with community at its heart. There's access to hot desks, meeting, and event spaces all across North America. So thank you so much, Staples Studio, for connecting us and sponsoring this podcast. And thank you for listening. Enjoy, and be sure to subscribe and follow along.